We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. Live here on a Saturday night, Imperial Pizza. I'll tell you what, if you would have told me, before we get into this show, five years ago, roughly five years ago, five and a half years ago, I was living in Florida, bored out of my mind, missing Buffalo, wanting to find a way to kind of connect sports-wise to the city, decided to start this podcast. Sal Capaccio from WGR, my first guest. If you would have told me five and a half years ago that today, live here, Saturday night at Imperial Pizza, I'd be doing episode 600. 600. I would be... I would have said you're nuts, man. But here we are again, Imperial Pizza, South Buffalo, episode 600, Talking Buffalo. I am joined by two guests to my far left, The Voice, Buffalo Rumblings, Vidcast Podcast Network, co-host of the John Fina Show, Overreaction Sports Podcast, Humday Hotline. Oh, I got to keep going. You do not. (laughs) Joe Miller. and His intro could take the whole show. It probably could. And, of course, sandwiched between us, former Buffalo Bill great and current co-host of the John Fina Show. (laughs) He's the star of the show, I think. I suppose he's the star. John Fina, man. How you doing, John? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. Imperial Pizza, man. Who knew? When I My first year in Buffalo, I lived in the South Towns. I hated it. If Imperial Pizza was here like this, I might have stayed. Yeah. (laughs) You said that when we had the food. All right. So we had some We had some wings. We had some pizza. I'm not going to talk about them because I have them all the time with my guests. But for you guys, especially you, John, I know this is your first time eating here. Pretty enjoyable, man. Nice little vibe going on here as well, too. Well, look, I come from Tucson, Arizona, and if you want tacos, that's the place to go, right? You want Mexican food? Come to Tucson. But the wings and pizza in Tucson is categorically not great. Right. So I come to Buffalo, and everything's a step up. But I have to say – as a somewhat of a connoisseur of wings, they're outstanding. Yeah. Great wings. Now, you just don't get the cupping pepperoni 
you know, in Arizona. So I come to come to Buffalo and I got to have a pepperoni pizza because, you know, they got the, the juice is coming down my fingers. Cup and char, and, baby. Cup and char. Oh, my God. I'm all greased up and ready to go for the show. Thanks, Imperial. We got a uh, – we, go ahead, Joe. I was say we got the – you got the Chevetta's hot, right? And they Chivetta's were really hot. good. The cook was good. The Chevetta's hot was good. And then you got the garlic uh, garlic Parmesan, which was – like I said to him, it was almost like they dumped the entire thing of Parmesan. Yeah, they're cheesy. Full of cheese salt. We call – in my house, we call Parmesan cheese cheese salt that's what Parmesan <laughs> is. Uh, and then you got the honey mustard, right? Yeah. Yeah. All they're barbecue. Terrific. They're the terrific. The were fantastic. And yeah. the pizza was a little bit – so I'm a South Towns guy. Uh, Blaisdell Pizza, right? Bella Pizza. But, no, the pizza was a little bit different, but good. It was super good. It was – yeah, the food was – I like was that fantastic. free form. You know, it wasn't like a perfect circle. It right. looks like they're back there stretching the dough. and Right. It was terrific. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk some training camp today, both when you were as a player and also the current team as well. We'll get into some other topics as well by the way too nice crowd a lot of people came out to yeah, yeah. well you're the man of the hour john a lot of people are here to see you man oh um, yeah you know oh, we got we got we got, we got we got a great fan base and i've made some terrific friends in bill's mafia and just thank you for putting on the podcast here and inviting me and i get to see these wonderful people i get limited opportunities to come back to the queen city and when i do I, it's just so great to be able to see everybody in one spot and, you know, rekindle that, that Bill's Mafia yeah. spirit. So to the point of being here in the crowd, one thing that we did not talk about was the venue. Because I've never oh. been to Imperial Pizza before. I this is the first time. So Pat was telling me that this, you were telling me that this whole section is brand new. And they've got the garage doors that open up. Which for a summertime vibe in other cities around the country, that's the thing, right? Those garage yeah. doors that open up. So, dude, the vibe here is great. It's a great restaurant. It's a great place. It really is a good location. I think they're going to knock it out of the park if they haven't already. Yeah. Yeah, well, this was always this place has been around for a long time, and for many, many years, it was a um, basically a place where you just came to pick up your food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't really have seating and stuff like that. But yeah, maybe a couple of years before COVID, they built the, the restaurant, the bar, and uh, right. all the seating. It's fantastic. And like I said, a lot of uh, a lot of Bills fans out here. Some to see John, just some Bills fans as well in general. We're gonna have a fun show. Right? A lot of a lot of fun topic we'll get into today. So I want to preface that right away, but. On a serious side, I, I did want to acknowledge one person here, who, um, Nick Mayerick, who is uh, everybody. If you're a Bills fan, if you, if yep. social media, everybody knows his story with yep. um, his eight-year-old son, Eddie, who sadly uh, passed away. It's it's great for him. He's here in town, and um, we, we talked. I know he talked to you guys as well, too, before the show. And just the comfort that he's gotten yep. from yep. – Fans, friends, let's call them friends yeah, too. Friends. You know, whether they're or not, um, he's he he, he told me how much it's meant to him. Just uh, he said the exact same thing to me. Just the the way that the mafia has surrounded him and kind of loved him. Um, his he, I asked him why he was in town, right? So I was like, "Are you here for camp?" He's like, "I yeah. just had to get away." And inside of that getaway is where do you go? You go to the place that loves you. So he came yeah. here, like to continue kind of feel getting that proverbial wrapping of the arms around him, right, to get help him get through this time. So yeah, yeah it's, it's, uh, it was great. You know, you you it's so much fun to meet people on social media that you've come to be close to. Sure. And of course, everybody's seen Eddie's videos. And he's yes, such a sweet yes. little boy, and you know, gave Nick a big hug. I had never met him before. I and, saw it too. And he said, "Hey, man, you know, you can't understand the depth of gratitude that I have to have been surrounded by so many people putting out so many good feelings toward us, and you know, him including us in that journey." A terrible, tragic journey that yeah. he had to go through with Eddie was, you know, it was kind of a 
it's almost like a sad privilege for us, but it's an opportunity for us to bring another Bills Mafia fan into the fold and take care of our own. It's true. Um, I saw you showed up here. I was getting set up for the show, and you arrived literally at the same time that he did. And you guys did. You shared a really nice hug. If I didn't know better, I would have thought that was your friend from 10 years ago. You know yeah. what I mean? It's just... uh. Is well, it, you know, and, and in this day and age, right, those types of exchanges mean a lot to people. People feel alone. People feel a little disenfranchised or scared. The world is a crazy place. And I think the more you can embrace people and, and make them feel at home and support them when they're in need, you know, it just brings us all together. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, Nick, we're all thinking about you. We all love you. Yeah. And um, and thanks for coming to Buffalo, Nick. You know, yeah, we love having you as a Bills fan. He's a great story, too. You know, he's not from Buffalo. No, he was introduced to the Bills. Yeah. and embrace them and here we are today by the way he's hanging out right now to the yeah. side off to the side of us chanting it up with other bills fans which again that's just what everybody does here in buffalo um so yeah it's great to see him and everyone knows john you live in arizona now why why are you in town? i'm glad you're here obviously being on the show too but like what brings you here to buffalo well that's the buffalo bills alumni foundation golf tournament so okay. the Alumni Foundation, which is separate from the Buffalo Bills, formerly had some funding. You know, they're, they're trying to kind of think, come back together. The Alumni Foundation raises money for local charities. Um, they do camps and things of that nature. They have a big gala, incredible uh, auction, a 50-50. And then, you know, you're bidding on silent auction items. Really great stuff. Tons of stuff from current and former players. So we have the big gala last night, and then we come out, and we play golf the next day. Um, Butch Roll, who's an amazing guitarist. His, yeah, his, I've had him on here. Yeah. His band is playing tonight at the uh, Buffalo Airport Hotel. I swear to God, that's the name of it. Uh, recently uh, rehabilitated. It's a nice, nice, nice hotel now. Mm -hmm. And they got an amazing courtyard out there, and Butch is setting up right now, and they're going to have a show until 10 p.m., and it's open to the public. So if anybody listening right now, listening live, wants to go see Butch Roll play the guitar, it is damn well worth your time. Um, I want to add, too, I probably should have said this at the beginning. So some people are watching this live right now on YouTube or Twitter. Most people will watch the video the next day or the day after. Also on podcast audio form, this will be available on a Sunday morning as well. Got some golf in today. And we're taping this or doing this live stream on Saturday. It's been a nice summer. Pretty shitty day, though, today out with the rain. It was pretty rough. Uh, it was cold, which I didn't mind because I'm in Tucson, Arizona. And sure. Ambient temperature there is like 400 degrees Kelvin. Uh, so you go outside and literally, you know, you have to bring water with you to put the flames out as your skin is catching on fire. So I enjoyed the cold, but the driving rain was not something that I was really prepared for. Or used to. Or used to. Although in Tucson, we get driving rain this time of year. It's just not 41 degrees. So we got 12 holes in, but we got about 36 holes of fun. So sure. it was, uh, I played with a group of uh, guys who work for Bob Rich's logistics company, Roar. Roar. Uh, great guys, and we had a blast for 12 holes. Do you play with them every year? You played with them last year, too, did you? Not? I played with them last year, too. Yeah, they're great, great guys. Yeah, good dudes. Yeah. We were talking before uh, we ate, obviously, before we're doing this show live right now about how golf can be such a frustrating sport. And, you know, you could go out there and you could stink it up, but you hit that one shot or that two shots every time you go out there, and you were talking about this today, that makes you, it sucks you right back in to want to go back. You hit one of those today you were telling me about. Uh, I, had a, I had a few of them today, but the beauty was just right into the wind, 
six feet from the pin, maybe four and a half. I didn't measure it. I was, maybe three. I was too excited. It might have rolled right by the cup and spit out. I don't know. Uh, but, yeah, golf was like that. Like, I really wish that I was just super horrible so I could throw my clubs into a lake <laughs> and quit forever. I know how much time I would get back in my life. Uh, I can tell you because I don't get to play much golf. <laughs> so it'd be a lot. <laughs> Have you been playing for a long time? Like, when did you take up the sport? Were you young? Was it during your playing days? After? So, you know, we get into that stage where we're raising our kids and you don't have a lot of time for golf. You know, like, you know, four little kids running around and you say, goodbye, honey, I'm going to be gone for 10 hours. Yeah. And by the way, I'm going to come home totally hammered. <laughs> so that, that really doesn't fly. So there was about 12 or 15 years there where I only played once a year. And it was usually here in Buffalo at the Alumni Foundation right, right, game. Right, right. Uh, but in, over the past year, I've been playing about once a month. My game is improving. It's nice just to be outdoors and in Tucson, I ham it up with some buddies who are in the same charity men's group, and we're, we're having a good time. Did you play when you were a Bill, Buffalo Bill? No, nah, not very much. Too fat. I couldn't get the, couldn't get around, you know, it was stiff, and, and then it gets hot, and then when you're 310 pounds, you get hot, you never cool off, and then it's just not a good look. Was golf popular? Like, when you play, you so you were drafted in 92, and we're going to talk about some of your training camp experiences, too, being Bill's training camp going on right now, but... Was golf as popular amongst the other players? Like, if you didn't play, like, now it seems like everybody plays golf. Like oh, when we, you were, we definitely had a contingent of active yeah. players that played all the time. Yeah. Uh, Steve Tasker hits the ball a mile. Right? Does he? Frank Reich is great. Um, uh, the Camel. Uh, Metzelars. We called him the Camel the way he ran. <laughs> Metzelars, good golfer. Uh, we, you know, we had a bunch of guys who could hit it really well, and they used to go out. Jerry Ostrowski used to play a little bit of golf. and. I just, I always felt like when I was playing, the downtime was too valuable. Like I didn't, I just wanted to like lay yeah. down. I don't, <laughs> I don't blame you. By the way, this is John's fourth time on this podcast. And let me to my own here, horn here for a second. I had you on this podcast. I looked it up, by the way, early to 2019. Before you really, I mean, you've always been popular among Bills fans, but before you really immersed yourself and embedded yourself back in this community, and now, of course, you guys do the John Cena show, and that's awesome. But I remember having you on before, and I also, and I say this for Jerry Ostrowski, same deal, had him on before, and now both guys are on, like, Buffalo Rumblings. I kind of feel like I should go find that next former <laughs> Buffalo Bill. You are the you progenitor <laughs> of our less than soaring stars. I mean, it's more of a fading star. You know, it, it's fun. And uh, I had never really thought about podcasting. And I was kind of fiddling around on Twitter because my son was being recruited. Yeah, I remember. And then uh, this jack wagon next to me sends me this private message. He's like, hey, would you want to do a, you want to do a podcast? And I'm like, just call me. You know, he's got like a text message this long. Just call me. I, I can't. My fat fingers, the spelling errors. So he called, and we, we tried it on, and it worked. We did a, a show a month for the first year, and then past two seasons, it's every week. And it's been three. It's been three. This is well, this will be our fourth. The first fourth. year was just a monthly installment. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and it's fun. I, I enjoy it. It really brought me back to the game. When I left Buffalo, I I didn't. It didn't. I didn't leave very wonderfully, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and when you're on the West Coast in those days, those days you, you didn't see the Buffalo Bills play because, A, they were terrible. Two, they weren't on TV. And, D, I didn't really want to watch football at that time. So now my kids are older and coming back in and, and paying attention to the team, 
it's been fun. It makes it so the experience of watching the game is so much richer this way. Did you go through a phase like elaborate on that a little bit where you said you didn't really want to watch much football? You went through like a phase of your life post career, obviously, where you just didn't want to watch a lot of football. It mostly had to do with raising kids. You know, you sit sure. down when you play football, the game starts. The next thing you know. You're in a locker room using the urinal, and then you're back out in the field, and it's over. You blink, and you're like, what the hell happened? Sure. Right? But when you watch it on TV, I was like, dear God, these games never end. Mm -hmm. What's going on? Like, when I played, there weren't enough quarters. There weren't enough minutes. I wanted to, I wanted to keep playing. It went, it went by so fast. So that was part of it, raising kids. And, and I didn't leave Buffalo with a great feeling. You know, they had – Tom Donahoe and Greg Williams, and it wasn't a good fit for me. Or anyone. And, uh, <laughs> and then what was interesting is, is the, the very first time I started coming back, Marlon Kerner was running the alumni group for the Bills, and I get this random phone call, and I answer. He's like, hey, Fina, it's Marlon Kerner. And I'm like, hey, buddy, how you doing? He's like, hey, we're having alumni weekend. We want you to come back. And I was like, me? They ran me out of town on a rail. <laughs> like, me? Why, why would they want? us to come back he's like i'm telling you dude you got to come back so that all started and it, it's been uh, it's been a blast ever since well things have obviously turned out very well and to your point about podcasting i feel like there's anybody out there who would just be a natural at podcasting it's you you're talking Talk to joe right no, i'm talking, talking about you, you john past me to the voice I, joe miller i am jealous why, of your why voice. you gonna make a voice when you say me because your voice is it's, it's so sultry and <laughs> sexy and amazing and soothing legit about 15 minutes before we started taping this i said the hardest part about this show is going to be doing this show it's going to be getting you away from all the bills fans over there at these tables that, that you were talking to i said that might be the harder part than actually getting here and, so and we, john and i are hanging out at uh vice downtown after one of the alumni gala things mm -hmm. uh, I think the first one that we went to uh, we go down there. It's got to be 11, 30, 12 o'clock. We're just sipping bourbon. The place has got a lot of people in it. There's a table next to us at the bar-ish area that's got a bunch of people around it, and they're clearly celebrating something. So what does John do? John gets up, goes over there, sticks his arm around everybody, and is, like, just celebrating with him, passing his, his championship. I totally can see that. Everybody. And I'm and like the dude that there was one dude with him. I think it was like the boyfriend of the girl whose birthday that it was. He came over and sat with me, and the two of us just talked while John was like the life of the party. <laughs> I just like engaging with people. I don't. You know, I find I just find people's stories and their lives so interesting. And, and it looks natural when you're engaging with people. Natural. Some people I feel like you, you kind of could see through it, and it looks yes. a little forced with some. I'm not going to name any names or anything like that. But yeah, I could just right? tell your engagement. No, your engagement with, with fans absolutely is, is natural. When it comes to the city, obviously you didn't grow up here. You grew up in Arizona. Coming to Buffalo, was it at the time? And we talked about this a little bit before, but it was a while ago. So I'm sort of asking you the same thing again. But it's a kind of culture shock coming here to Buffalo at, as a rookie. It, it definitely is. You know, the, the West Coast is just so... Oh, I'm a nice way to say it. I don't have one. It's just kind of boring and buttoned up and they roll up the sidewalks at nine o'clock. And then the next thing sure. you know, you're in the city of Buffalo and everybody's, everybody's a character. I, I felt like I just walked onto a movie set, yeah. you know, I mean, uh, my cousins and then my family's from Rochester, New York, you know, my cousin, it's like, he just stepped out of a Soprano episode. <laughs> and I love that. You know, you don't get that in Tucson. So I used to hang out at this bar in on the West side of Buffalo, uh, 
the left bank restaurant bar. Mm -hmm. And we every Thursday night, it was the same cast of characters, you know, Cadillac Harry and Richie Fitcher. And, and there was a, you know, the guy who was the teacher and everybody just kind of congregated at the bar, all from different backgrounds. So in that way, it was definitely a culture shock. People always ask, well, what do you do about the cold? And I'm like, I bought a coat just like everybody else. Were so. you at the time? And look, and today with the Buffalo Bills today, getting drafted to the Buffalo Bills, that's an exciting, well, it's pretty much an exciting time for any prospect wherever they go, I would imagine. I don't know, obviously. But you know, the Bills have been good now for a solid handful of years, so it's got to be a little more extra exciting to get drafted. There was a long time, 17 years, when they didn't make the playoffs where probably players, they're happy to be in the NFL, but I'm sure they probably wanted to go somewhere else. When you came into the league, which was in or 1992, first-round pick, what was your thoughts at the time? You knew you were going to a team that was already obviously going to multiple Super Bowls. Like, Do you remember at that time your mindset getting drafted, your excitement level about coming to Buffalo specifically? Were you excited right off the bat or did it take some time? No, I was excited for sure. I, I didn't, I just, I, you could have drafted me anywhere in the first round. I would have gone to Mars. Yeah. <laughs> I would have played for Marvin's Martians. I, it didn't matter. But I, I was fortunate that I was, you know, kind of brought up right by my parents and my mom, you know, gave me the stern look before I left. And she said, you never forget. You've got to earn everything. You know, you've you got to go out there and work your ass off and, you know, be part of a team. And so I showed up with this attitude that, I didn't know anything and that I needed to learn. And I was lucky that I had a, a veteran team with a lot of great leaders who really, you know, cared about the young guys. And it wasn't, it was, it was a really great culture in that locker room, despite what a lot of people thought about the bickering bills and this and that. But in that rock locker room, you know, the guys really took care of one another. We were a resource for everybody. That didn't mean we always got along like any family, you know, there were fights, there were disagreements. But, you know, coming somewhere where the expectation was of a high level of play, high level of character and success, you know, you just kind of fit into that groove. Talk about the leadership at that time with like Ken Hall and the offensive line group. I'm talking about, of course, led by Ken Hall. Will Wolford was so it was his last year, your rookie year, I believe. Mm -hmm. But, you know, just that leadership, you have a lot of good established guys on that line for an organization that you came into immediately. You know, they were they were very much. Uh, set in their ways, and you you didn't upset the apple cart. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, I learned this in training camp my rookie year. It was at the end of the meeting, and Tom Bresnahan asked if there were any questions, and I, like an idiot, raised my hand. And if you knew Tom Bresnahan, he could take one topic that would segue into another 40. And then when that meeting ended, I had every veteran in my face and said, son, Ken Hall, son, don't you ever ask another question. <laughs> you got a question, you come to me. Uh, but by and large, you know, those guys taught you how to practice. They taught you how to prepare. Uh, and they really put you in a position of, you know, understanding the veteran way. And it, it's not everywhere. Because like I said, my final year in the NFL was with the Arizona Cardinals. And that organization at the time was just a complete disaster. At the time? At the time. Still. But they got okay we'll, for we'll a while. Still. With Larry Fitzgerald, they did okay. And I, I walked into that place. And I was kind of brought in as the long, you know, long in the tooth kind of veteran. And I went in that offensive line meeting room and I thought, oh my God, this, there's no, there's, it's no secret why they're not doing well. I mean, everybody was just. Was that a miserable year for you? Was that a miserable year that your last year in Arizona? No, no, no. I mean, it, it wasn't miserable. It was, it was just a shock. 
It, yeah. it, it always had the reputation as being the worst place in the league to end up as a free agent. And I kept thinking to myself, it can't be that bad. <laughs> it's home. It was bad. It was I, pretty bad. I remember talking to Daryl Talley once, and I can't remember, so I have to apologize. Atlanta. It was either Atlanta. Minnesota or Atlanta. Atlanta. That he is he loved he came to love Buffalo so much that when he left, and yeah, ultimately Atlanta, he said he was just absolutely beyond words miserable. I think Thurman has the same feeling about going to Miami for one year. Yeah. So when you let me ask you this, John. So so you come to camp yeah, as a rookie. You can ask me anything. You don't even have to say, let me ask you. That's your show. You come you six hundred. Six hundredth episode. Six hundred. You've been out four That's of them now. Movie. Oh no, that was the three hundred. Joe's been out more than you though. So well, they would have won that thing if they had six hundred of those Spartans. They probably would have. Yes. When you came into camp as a rookie, and you maybe look at some of these guys now, early on in their careers in camp, was your mindset different? Obviously, you're getting used to the NFL, so of course it's different in that way. But you're trying to earn your keep. You said your mindset. You have to earn everything. At some point, you became an established starter. You, maybe you use training camp to get more ready for the season as opposed to having to prove yourself worthy of being the starting left tackle for the team. Like, was your mindset early on different towards training camp than it was later in your career once you became, you know, an established starting left tackle? I would say that the difference was you always went into training camp, you know, showing that you didn't sit on your ass in the offseason and get fat, that you trained and you were ready to play. Sure. But I think the thing that went away after year one and two was the butterflies, the nerves, right? Mm -hmm. The pressure was always there. I mean, this is a high-pressure, high-stress profession. You got now it's 17. It used to be 16 chances to show that you're worth a shit. That's it. And, and you know, when you get to that point where you're starting and you, you your confidence has grown, but when you're an athlete and you're competing at that level, a lot of that is self-talk because you can't think that you have any weakness whatsoever because then that creates doubt and doubt creates fear and then fear creates mistakes you know so you always have to be positive self-talk you always have to be a super badass your ego has to be just off the charts when you're on the field when you're in the locker room and i always said by the time the you know december 1st came around the smell of ego in the locker room was just awful right i mean you got 53 alpha males just sure. walking around right. at a fever pitch, high intensity all the time. You know, everybody was just wired and ready to go. How was so social media now makes life for a player so different? You know, you you sneeze and or, or somebody you would put an Instagram thing out there with an emoji and it's a story. It's literally a story. We'll talk about it on this podcast or the mainstream media. Back in those days, I mean, things still got around, but not at the level that it does now. Sometimes do you feel grateful that you played in that era? And as now somebody who talks football and you have a podcast that you guys do, you know, you sit back and you see sometimes stories are valid and sometimes things just get blown way out of proportion, mainly because of social media. You know, like I said, it's just easy to blow something up. You notice that difference, obviously. Like, do you feel... Like, in a way, you were grateful to not have to deal with that when you were a player? No. And here's why. Because it cuts both ways, sure. right? So back in the ancient times, you know, you had three media sources, ancient. right? You had radio, print, and TV. Sure. And that was it. Yeah. But you were left at the mercy of whatever those people liked or didn't like about you. That's fair. And you really had no opportunity to connect with these, you know, lovely people who are here tonight who then get to know you as a person. And that's the part of the game that 
and look, a rabid fan gets excited about their players, whether they're doing well or they're doing poorly. Now we have a million times more critics, but a player has the opportunity talking to, about us. To, show, <laughs> to show that they're a person. Yeah. So the, the, the general public gets to get a little bit deeper peek into the personal life of a player, and I think that creates a little bit more empathy. Sure. That's a good point. And you are right. Back in those days, if a columnist didn't like you, you were almost defenseless. You know what I mean? They would just go at you. Oh, I got dragged. I got dragged all the time, right? But, you know, you didn't – you just kind of had to brush it off. Sure. You, know, you could get a little I mean, angry about it. but, but I, I, I totally get what you're saying, and I've seen you live in this vibe, right? And I know that from knowing you and hearing your stories that when you lived in Buffalo, you – defected from what the rest of the team members did kind of in the south towns and you went to buffalo moved to downtown buffalo hung out i think at an italian restaurant every day like you were trying to be a part of the community i think there's a different pressure now though because espn though it existed they didn't have the adam Schefters of the world there was no nfl network where they've got four guys who live eat sleep and breathe rumors on their on, sure. like, on their text messages like when you talk about who saw who where? Like I saw John Fina at the Imperial with XYZ person, right? I think the pressure is just – it's just different now for these guys, I think. I mean, when you guys did things, it was relatively in private at Jim's house until Jim built his bar. Then things got a little bit public, right? But, I mean, so it's, it's just different, I think, now than it was then from a pressure standpoint that way, who you are in public. Because now somebody could get a video of – Gabe Davis, who maybe just got caught off guard one day for one a, moment, for one moment, have a bad reaction to something, and all of a sudden, like trying to cancel him and run him out of Buffalo on a rail, like we did to Marshawn Lynch. Yeah, <laughs> we ran a future Hall of Famer out of Buffalo on a rail. <laughs> Why did you move to the city? Not a lot of players live in the city. Well, number one, um, this was a veteran team, mm -hmm. right? Guys were settled in their marriages, and I was a single guy, and I was like, I was. You know, I mean, this look, it's a beautiful place. Everywhere in Buffalo, I can find beauty. Sure. But there wasn't much going on, and I wanted to go do stuff. Right. And right. my two of my rookie teammates, Matt Rogers, quarterback from Iowa, Kurt Schultz, Screaming Eagle, Eastern Washington. Mm -hmm. they, they lived at the corner of Delaware and Ferry in a really cool apartment building. And I would go up and hang out with those guys. And then I'm like, well, wait a minute. I'm not driving 20 minutes back home if I've, you know, had a couple of sure, drinks. Sure, right? sure. This doesn't make any sense. So I lived one year down here right near the stadium. Um, and then I moved up. I got an apartment on Linwood between Utica and Ferry. And I was there for about seven years. And then I had a house on Lafayette between Delaware and Elmwood. And my I own just, neighborhood. I grew up, you know, I don't want to give anybody the impression that I'm like cultured or some BS like that. But my parents were play people, opera people. And, you know, there was always, we had work parties. I'm the fifth of six boys, or I'm the fifth boy. And my sister's the youngest, and my mom would open the doors, and we'd be playing, they'd be playing Luciano Pavarotti while we're outside doing yard work. Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and it was just we had books and culture and music and plays and stuff in our blood. And when I found myself in downtown Buffalo, I was going to plays every other week. I was going to Shays, and it wasn't it wasn't hard to do. It was right there, yeah. and I, I just I gravitated to that. I love the architecture. I think beautiful. Buffalo is a beautiful history. and It is. I found fast friends there who showed me things around Buffalo that a lot of Buffalonians didn't yeah. you know, embrace. So. I love the city. Yeah. I, I, lived, I grew up in the city. I grew up on the west side of Buffalo. Let, let me circle back to training camp again for a second. 
So the mindset towards a player like, say, yourself when you played, you, you know you're making the roster. I mean, maybe you're not saying that. Well, everybody knows you're, you're making the roster, and uh, you don't have to worry about making a team. Conversely, there's bubble guys every year. that like it's Their life depends on that practice. Where a guy's, you know, at your stature, once you're, especially once you're a couple years in the league, you came into the league, it was pretty apparent early on you were being groomed to become a starter, and then you did become a starter, and you became established. You're fine-tuning yourself, getting your ready, self, yourself ready for the season. Some of these guys that come in, they're that 54th guy on a 53-man roster. You know what I mean? Like a bad practice, that could be their time with the Bills or their, maybe even their career. Did you Do you pick up on that? Like you get a sense from, from those players, I'm sure, that you played with, like just the difference in mindset, how you would approach maybe a practice at trading camp, kind of tied in even today, you know, with the Bills. Yeah, I mean, we were fortunate here where we had a staff that set expectations for what practice was going to be like and things of that nature. But, I, you know, knowing rather full well that I was going to make the team and I was the starter, you know, it doesn't – the mindset, you just can't allow yourself to get lazy, number sure. one. But the number two, you I always looked at it as when I was first here and I was struggling mentally with some of the changes and what was coming at me, I felt like my duty was to pay it forward to the young guys. Sure. So, you know, I would, and I think a lot of guys would do this. You'd find a younger guy, mentor him a little bit. If they're going too hard in practice, you know, pull them aside and say, look, this isn't the time. This will be the time, right? But start here, go to this step. Don't start here and try to get all the way to the finish line. So, you know, there were times in my career, though, where, they would bring somebody in. I, I think I played out my first contract rather than signing an extension. And, you know, they wanted to push me in training camp. So they brought, brought in another veteran, mm -hmm. you know, as kind of a way to say, you know, we're going to replace you, but this didn't happen. Camps work. I'm sorry. Go ahead, some well, I just have a question. Just on, I just want to branch off of that a little bit sure. because there was video today from chief's camp where I don't know who it was, but it was a linebacker 47 guy that I didn't recognize necessarily just went a little aggressively at Travis Kelsey. Now, Travis Kelsey isn't wearing a red jersey. He's a player. Like, yeah. he's not Patrick Mahomes. Travis Kelsey had a problem with it, and he swung at him. Like, and I don't mean just kind of like football swung at him. I mean, he swung at him. And I guess the question is, is inside of that coaching staff, inside of the player staff, because, again, Jim, Jim, obviously Frank, and Gail Gilbert were the ones wearing the red jerseys. But everybody's fair game. But everybody's not fair game. So what do you do with a young guy, to Pat's point, that's trying to make it – I'm trying to get noticed. I'm trying to win a spot on this team, right? But they better not chop John Fina's legs. Well, so right? the, what, what you're saying, though, <laughs> the difference is, was it a clean shot? And if it's a clean shot, Travis Kelsey can get upset. I'm telling you, it happened all the time in training camp. All the time. Yeah. And that's what training camp's for. If you're going to try to make the roster, you got to show something, some way. Right, right. The, the opportunities are so few, right? So you got to make the most of them. And as long as you're not, you know, taking a cheap shot, it's all above board. Now, I always say it's not a successful training camp unless there's at least one fight. Sure. So I'm okay with that. Look, but if it's appropriate and Travis didn't like it, that's okay too. And he could say, you, you don't know who I am. And that's okay. For, for me, it was a little prima donna-ish on Travis's part. Did you see the video? It was yeah, he kind of apologized on Twitter. Well, he didn't really apologize, but he said, you know, I need to be more of a leader. 
this and that. I don't it was know. Maybe very could, much a "Do you know who I am?" Sure. Type of a punch. And 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 again, going back to what I was saying earlier about what the kind of ego you need to play this game. Right. And Travis Kelsey's got an eleven. Eleven and a half, probably. Right, and that's okay. So I mean, I you know, like people will make a story out of things like that. I just think they're funny. So and, there was never a time if something like that happened where the coaches would be like, "Look." Don't hit Therm. Don't hit like don't 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 side check or cross check Bruce. Like there's guys you don't touch, even though they're not wearing a red jersey. Well, no, the coaches never did that, but Bruce would, Thurman would, Travis Kelsey did, and that was your responsibility to say, "Hey, rookie, this is not your place. Like, settle down, son." And that happened all the time, and it was all well and good. It was all part of the fun, really, because right, right. then you get into film and you watch it on film, and it's, someone's making fun of Travis Kelsey, like, "Man, what kind of a blow was that, dude?" You're like, "That was terrible," and then everybody yucks it up, and they're like, "Hey, he's gonna get you again tomorrow." And uh, it, that's those are the kind of events like you're hoping for. Like, I want something to talk about for God's sake, instead of just like dragging myself to the shower after right, practice. Right. I can hardly stand up. <laughs> We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We are live here at Imperial Pizza, John Fina, Joe Miller. All right, so we're talking about camp and your experiences with camp, a lot of the hard work and stuff like that. Who were a couple of the most fun teammates that you played with during camp? Like during training camp, they were fun to be around. Well, first of all, hands down, offensive linemen are the funniest, smartest people on the football team. So we always figured out a way to have fun. And it usually involved, you know, a few beers, a few hundred chicken wings, and about 68 pounds of pizza. <laughs> so we, we always cut it up pretty good. But uh, Jim Kelly was a fun and funny guy to be yeah. around. Yeah, everybody – when I was here, especially early on, had a great personality. And, you know, there were always moments when things seemed really kind of serious and somebody would throw out that snarky comment and would settle everybody down and take it down a level a little bit. Um, I really enjoyed Steve Tasker. He was a really good guide for me, like a lot of wisdom. Um, Glenn Parker, super, mm -hmm. super funny because he have, has a, a rapier wit. I mean, the guy is so smart. So we, we'd cut it up. Glenn and I would cut it up in the uh, offensive line room quite a bit. And, of course, you know, we always made fun of defensive linemen because, I mean, it's just an easy target. I'm surprised. I don't know why I'm surprised, but I'm a little surprised. Oh, that you oh Ted Washington. Stop. Ted Washington. Yeah. <laughs> Reuben Brown, Ted Washington, 
Pat Williams. Yeah, name the whole roster. And then when when uh, Jerry Ostrowski and then uh, you know like about six guys started mixing it up. I mean, you were like, you're like, stop! I'm cramping! I'm cramping! Call the trainer. I, f- I feel like I should have framed the question differently and asked you who wasn't fun <laughs> during your tenure at, at Bill's. Well, I, I couldn't answer that. Like, I'm going to call <laughs> somebody <laughs> out. Tom Donahoe. Yeah, but when you said Jim Kelly right off the bat. I don't know why I'm surprised. I mean, maybe it's just because he was such a larger than life personality when he played. And by the way, do you see that, like Lloyd Joshua? And I'm not talking about how they actually play on the field, but just like that, that leader, that larger than life. But Josh is probably really cool with his teammates as well. So Jim was like really cool with you guys there. Oh yeah. yeah. And and Jim wanted as much as Jim was the guy, he still wanted to be one of the guys and he did it well. He wore it well. I mean, yeah. he, you didn't get a prima Donna feeling from Jim in the locker room at all. You know, he's a guy you'd lay down in traffic for. Yeah. I mean, a, a true battler like Thurman. I mean, I'd have done anything for Thurman. Yeah. When you, so now you're talking about the team a lot. You know, you played for a long time. Now you talk about the team every week, win or lose. You kind of liken yourself like another favorite former Buffalo Bills lineman of mine, friend Eric Wood. You know, he's doing the, the radio now for the Bills. And I've talked to him about this before, and he, he's critical to an extent, but he also, you know, he's not going to bash any player. Do you kind of take that same mindset, like, besides being a former player, which is something that most people who talk about this team, whether it's mainstream or there's podcasts, I don't care what it is. They can't relate to that, you know, not having played at that level. But do you kind of develop or have that same mindset that like Eric does? Like, I'm not afraid to point out something that's wrong, but I'm also not going to be a douchebag about it and, you know, blast this person because he's not playing well. Well, I work with this guy, so I bet he can better answer the question. I think, and yeah. Let's hear it. So John is very respectful of the players. And I think a lot of times what that comes from is not as much respect for the game, respect for the player, because he was a player. I think it comes from the wisdom and the understanding that 99% of the time uh, when somebody's breaking down film, uh, whether it's a professional film breaker downer or a amateur podcaster guy that breaks down film, what John always says is, you can be as critical of that guy as you want to be, but you don't know what he's being asked to do. You mm-hmm. might think you know what he's supposed to do, what his assignment is, but more than likely, you don't. You don't know what they're asking him specifically to do in that moment. So it's hard to just be combative or be to, to be rude or disrespectful. However, there are times when John sees enough of things on tape that he gets to the point where it's like, look, at some point you have to call spade a spade. And sure. I'm not dissing a guy and I'm not calling his mom a bad name. But if that person's got bad footwork, he's got bad footwork. If that person can't block, he can't block. Like, it just is what it is. But I think there's only been one guy that I've really just said, this guy needs to go away. I mean, it's just – I, I can't even remember his name. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, defensive tackle. Well, then uh, he's probably not here. Vaughn. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, 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 Quentin Jefferson. Nope. Was it Quentin Jefferson? No, 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 no. Oh, it's going to drive his name. It's going to drive Vernon Butler? Vernon Butler. Vernon Butler. Yeah, yeah. I, I said Vaughn. I was yeah, close. Yeah, I got and, and you know what? I, I And I'll, I'll say this. He's a person, and he's a good guy. And, you know, that season, which was poor by him, is not full of representation of his entire career. Yeah. And just as I'm loath to call somebody out on one bad play when the compendium of their performance, you know, is – is so much more than that. And there's so much more behind the scenes, like Joe was saying. But when I do see things like poor footwork and bad habits, 
you know, I kind of go, well, hey, who's you? You know, I coach a little bit. Mm -hmm. You know, coaches will say this, and everything they do boils down to this: I'm either coaching it or I'm allowing it to happen, right? So, who's coaching that garbage, or who's allowing that garbage to happen? What John just said is big too. He does comment often about we're criticizing one play. He had 70 snaps. Right. You're criticizing a play, you're not the player. One play. Sure. You know, there is no other position on the field where you play every play. Right. Yeah. And they don't swap out offensive linemen. True. And if it's a pass, they're blocking, and the running back may not be. It's offensive right. linemen. And, and then if it's a run, you think the wide receivers are out there like running a nine route, like to their fullest? <laughs> They're probably not even blocking. And, and in the, if it's a if it's a run, the quarterback's handing it off, right? So there's yeah, right. there's a group of five guys who, on every play, have the you know the the season weight on their shoulders. Yeah. We were talking earlier about social media, and you pointed out a lot. We talked the good and the bad, and you said like a lot of the good stuff is you know some of these great fans that are here checking you out and watching this show right now. Is one of the bad things when a player gets does it bother you, especially as a former player, when you see such harsh nasty criticism sometimes towards a player like it seems like and i'm only talking about the bills and i'm sure there's 31 other teams that got one or two players like that there's just always a player or two on the team that just seems to be the whooping boy it's just so easy to go after them like everything's always their fault like gabe davis to an extent last year i, I felt like he was just well there, there's always going to be a scapegoat at the end of every season sure. unless you win the super bowl somebody's yep. a scapegoat people get released right um, and yes, it does bother me when people relentlessly attack somebody like they're straight garbage. Yeah. Man, this guy there's, sucks. There's 1,500 active football players in the league, and there's you know 24 million American males between the age of 22 and 35. Yeah, and you can only get 1,500 players people to right. do this, right? So they have a skill set, and I just don't like that. I mean. It's like the old Peyton Manning commercial when the, the the accountants are coming out of the conference and he's he's clapping. Well, he could very well be telling them, "You sucked at the taxes. You're the worst insurance ever." <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's kind, hard kind of see. in that vein. Um, and, and I'll elaborate that on a, li a little bit to say that you know it's up to a, a little bit of your fan. But I had to reprimand somebody in Bill's Mafia that I like for something that they put out there that I thought was horrific. Okay. Um, and then the other problem with it is there's a snowball effect, right? So do I think the offensive line could have played better last year? Yes. But now you go from, you know, the right tackle's terrible, the left guard was awful, the whole line was trash. They're garbage. It's a disaster. It's a catastrophe. No, it's not. But you have to be the person that posts something that's over the top, right? Yeah. I got the superlative insult for this person, group, whatever. You know, if that's your bead, if that's your deal, have at it. Just, you know. Well, good for you for calling somebody out, though, because that is another downside of, like, say, Twitter, for an example. People would just say whatever they want. And it feels like 99.5% of the time there's no consequence. There's no repercussion to it. So good on you or players out there who, who will call somebody out for, you know, for, for, for crossing that line and going over it. I want to switch gears here before we get out of here, too. At the end of last season, and I'd like your perspective as a player, the team just emotionally spent, ran out of gas. And it's not even a theory. Players, like, literally said that. Many of them have said that. You kind of, as a, again, as a former player, kind of relate to what they might have been going through. 
maybe a little bit more than, say, the average fan? Because that Bengals game, and I know you guys talked about it on your show, and you've probably talked about it a lot since then, but like that just was not the Buffalo Bills team that I watched play an entire season and even the first week of the playoffs that came out that home game against Cincinnati and they just simply had nothing left. Like what do you do? What happens at that point when you just don't have it in you, John? Well, I don't think you can pick a team or a city that has suffered the instances that they did last season. Right. And I think it's admirable that they, they fought through all of that adversity, but eventually things go way heavy on your heart. And there were a lot of things in this community that, we're just, it just seemed like every week, like, come on. Yeah. You know, another one. And, you know, it's all about getting up for that next game. And when you have something pulling you down so hard, it, it I mean, it, it's, it's incredibly challenging in the face of all of that. And I've never faced a season like they faced last year. There's, I don't, I don't think, any teams I don't ever think a single team ever has. Yeah. I mean, it was ridiculous. Nobody's ever had a player die in the field. Yeah. We'd start right or, or the owner's wife go down. Or, wife, or yeah. people died in, in, a tr in the fire that was in Buffalo nobody talks about. Or, or the people the that died in their cars. The, and shoot, the, 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 shooting. the shooting. I mean, uh, John, John Murphy, the play-by-play -play guy having John a John Murphy having a stroke. So, I mean, that's a lot. And, if, you know, there's like, who cares about the play-by-play -play guy? John Murphy's in the locker room all the time. Yeah. And I, I dearly remember John. And when I heard that, I mean, it weighed heavy on my heart. And I didn't, I hadn't seen him for years. Yeah. So I'll say this too for, for the average fan, not the average fan. All of us are great fans. Yeah. I get it. I, I want to win the Super Bowl. I want the Bills to win the Super Bowl too. I will be here if they win the Super Bowl. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. But I also know that it is incredibly hard to win any football game. Sure. Even against the crappy Browns one Monday night on paper, we should have destroyed them. We're lucky we got out of there with our lives. So, you know, Joe's saying that I love so much an embarrassment of riches. My team goes to the playoffs every year. I'm a happy guy. Do I want more? Yes. But am I going to lose my mind? No, I'm going to be thrilled and proud of the Buffalo Bills for getting to the playoffs. Am I disappointed? Yes. But in that performance, that was awful. But... Am I like thinking, oh, we got to blow the whole team up, start all over again? No. If anybody would know about pressure coming into a league and early in your career, it's you because you literally were going to a, you know, you go to an organization that's going to Super Bowls. Do you feel like right now this organization feels a lot of pressure? Like if they go out this year, whether they win their division or not, even if let's give them a playoff win, but let's say they lose in a divisional playoff round for a third straight year, you're going to start hearing chatter, whether it's warranted or fair or not. This is an overrated team. You know, the coach overrated. This person, that person, they're overrated. That pressure. How, how do you think these players, do you think these players are feeling that right now? Well, they better be. I mean, I felt it every year. Yeah. I mean, they feel it enough. You don't have to create it for them. It, it's, it's, it, they swim in it. Yeah. They, they pressure for them. It's every day. Do I think that the staff is on the hot spot? Why would I fire a staff that's going to the playoffs every year? I mean, there, there are issues beyond the players philosophy-wise, but that's why, you know, you lose Dable and then you put a new OC in and mm -hmm. he's not the right guy. You let Frazier go. I like. I think he's probably genuinely a wonderful man. I didn't love the style of defense that, that he put on the field. But, you know, I'm not I'm not getting the pitchforks and the torches and you know, wanting to burn the so, whole thing down. So Jay Spence and I talked about this last week on the Humpty Hotline. There's there's two pieces of this to, for me. One of them is, have they done enough 
different. No, you don't overhaul the whole thing. You don't rip it down to the ground. And I think this was part of Stefan Diggs. I think Stefan Diggs, he said it in his press conference last week. Coach has an open-door policy. I took advantage of that. I think he walked in and he was like, what's different this year? What are we going to do different this year that's going to get us further than we've gotten the last sure. two years? So that's the first part. I'm not sure they've done enough different this year. We'll see, right? So is Frazier enough? Because obviously if you're scoring 35 points a game, you should be able to keep your opponent from scoring 36, right? The other side of that too, I think, is there's a little bit of a, I think there's a little bit of a gift coming from the football gods, if you will, in Aaron Rodgers going to the Jets, what that team is becoming, what the Dolphins are becoming, because it's no longer a walkthrough division. So yeah. the Bills don't win the division this year. It's not like, well, Sean McDermott couldn't do it again. It's like, no, no, no. The Jets might be really good this year. Yeah. The Dolphins might be two is for real. The Dolphins could be really good this year, which just means that you're now stuck in a division with two other really good teams. There's a school of thought, and I'm not necessarily saying it's fair, but that the window's open. The window's it's still open. open. You got the Josh Allen. It's a great roster. The window's very much open. But you can make a, you know, and I think there's some validity to it that the window was never going to be more open than it has been the past two years, and they didn't take advantage of that. But to your point, and I'll put on my Bills fan hat, I don't know that they really need to do too much different. They need to, they need to be healthier than they were last year. I mean, they were decimated by injuries, secondary especially, especially yeah. the secondary. And you know, people look at the the Bengals game and they're like, "Why are they so soft?" I mean, they have to protect the young guys. And yeah. I don't think Tre'Davious White was in Tre'Davious no. White form. Nope. And I agree with Joe though. I mean, because I'm looking at it from the offensive side of the ball, notwithstanding what I think about that defensive philosophy, I just didn't see in the running game this cohesive. This is who we are. Yeah. You know, I, I tell people all the time, like, I'd rather watch a game on TV. I can see what I want to see better. And I don't have people around me saying things that make me want to kill myself and then them. Yeah. In that order. Sure. I you get know, it. <laughs> I don't look like I heard it. I heard it all the time. Like yeah. Thurman Thomas. Why do they keep running that same play up the middle? You mean the play that's going to put him in the Hall of Fame? And yeah. it didn't work a couple of times. And now you want to start running across the field and you get yards going that way mm -hmm. you go downhill that's how you gain yards and i thought that every week the running game looked different than the week before and they put people in positions to block that shouldn't be in a position to block okay. and when you start crowding the box the mathematics for the guys that don't count a lot and i don't mean that in a negative way but offensive linemen everything is based on counting find number one and you count the three both directions. And if you start adding people into the box and safeties move up and corners move in and out and nickel guys are floating all around, when you're asking a guy like Isaiah McKenzie to start deciphering that, it's just not going to work. And we had many, many failures from wide receivers and tight ends put in positions to block that made no sense to me. That's a that's a great point. I'll tell and you that needs to change. So what do we need to change? Get a cohesive running plan and just run the damn thing. I feel run like, it and run it again and run it again. I feel like the offseason was kind of geared towards being able to do that and, and with and Harris and, and Murray. And the offensive and, line. And Torrance, the second round big, right? big guard. Right? Sure. And then the other the other guard that they just signed. Um, uh, Conor McGregor. No. McGovern. Conor McGregor. He's Conor like, McGregor. this tool. He's <laughs> a soul that Conor kill McGovern. you in a second. I got to tell you, and you're 100% right about the offense. But what's bothered me, I think, the last two years the most about the way the Bills season ended is the defense in the elimination games. It just felt soft. Like they let the offense dictate what was going to happen, yeah, yeah. which 
I am optimistic about, though, with Sean McDermott calling the plays. I want to think, I'd like to think that in those types of games, he's going to be far more aggressive with his defensive play calls than we saw Leslie Frazier last year against the Bengals and two years ago against the Kansas City Chiefs, where they completely dictated to the defense what was going on. There's a great deal, and this was a criticism that I had of this this team, and John didn't share it as much, but it just felt to me – and I always go back to the Dolphins, the, the, the last game of the, of the season, or the last game the Bills played the Dolphins. The two games prior to the Bills, the Dolphins played the Niners, then they played the Chargers. And the, and the Niners basically wrote a book on how to beat Tua. The Chargers executed it perfectly. Mm-hmm. And like Tua looked like he was confused and had never played football in his life. And then they go into Buffalo and put up 30 points. It just felt like the Bills yeah. were game planning. They were just like, oh, no, we're good enough. We're going to run our nickel 4-2 and we'll stop you. And it works. More than it doesn't during the regular season, but there's a time, the playoffs, where it's like you got to be a little Bill Belichickian. Like you've got to take away what they want to do, right, and make them do, use their left hand versus their right hand. But well, I, a lot, you know, losing Von Miller was devastating. Sure, and nobody For stepped sure. up, uh, in my opinion, when it mattered. You can get a sack when you're up by 14 in the fourth quarter, and I, I don't really. Yeah, that's not a game-breaking right. play. True. And we lost the game breaker at that position. I think we just we had some a really really disappointing wide receiver play. We had some disappointing offensive line play, and now you know the and we had, look, Micah Hyde was out right, so Jordan Poyer played hurt. We had all the problems at cornerback. Everything looks fairly good on defense right now. Yeah. Uh, concern at linebacker, but by and large, I think we're in a, in good spot. We got huge wide receiver room. Uh, and I, I love that competition. And I think Stefan Diggs is not going to be shy. He's going to say, which one of you gentlemen yeah. is going to step up and be right behind me, be right on my hindquarters, coming for me, right? And you need that. I, and as far as leaders go, you're asking. I think Stefan leads in a way that is needed. Every team needs a guy like mm-hmm. him. Josh leads in a, in a very good way. I think, you know, on defense, it's very clear those safeties are the leaders. Von Miller is a leader. I think the leadership is strong. I think just they got personnel issues I think should be figured out. Philosophy issues we won't know until we can dissect three or four games into the season. Right. But you talk about windows closing, I don't know. I I just – I don't – I think Josh always gives you a chance. Sure. A guy like Stefan, whether it's him or not, next year, whatever, I think you got a shot. One last question, then I'll let you guys both go here. Um. So we're in training camp now, roughly close to a week into training camp. It's a question for both of you. What are a couple of things that you're most looking like you're watching the most or you're trying to find out the most about about this football team in training camp right now as they get ready for this season? For me, it's all on the edge. It's how um, the uh, he's not Kyrie Elam, Christian Benford, Tredavious White, press, push, match up, defend against that wide receiver room. This should be a bloodbath on the outs- outside of the box because mm-hmm. that is where we definitely, if we're going to change the defense and press more or play tighter coverage, those guys better step up in training camp. Yeah. If we're going to get better at wide receiver, those guys got to be able to battle their way off the line and they got to make space and make hard catches. For me, it's two things. You talked about Gabe Davis earlier getting a lot of criticism. And some of it, I think, was due to him. 
Um, obviously, he had the ankle injury, but I think he was set up for failure. And when the ankle injury happened, it was a bigger problem. I've been talking about this since since cut down day last year, and I haven't heard anybody else say it until Jeremy White said it this past week. And that's this. The Bills went into the season last year with two boundary receivers, Diggs and Davis. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. Four or five slot guys. It's like, what are you doing? Like, So I think, to me, I want to see that and how that shapes out and how that shakes out with Sherfield, with Hardy. I like Sherfield. Davis being healthy, shorter, all the, the new guys. And then Dalton Kincaid as well. I think the Bills, it, it also was uh, said this week that the Bills have played less 12 personnel than any team in the league for the last two or three years. I think the Bills have wanted to play 12. The O.J. Howard experiment last year, it didn't work. So I'm really excited to see kind of what they're going to do with Dalton Kincaid. No, I don't think he's going to have 800 yards receiving and 16 touchdowns. But I think there's an opportunity there to exploit some mismatches and be multiple. And then on the defensive side, for me, it's all about the middle linebacker. Who's going to take Tremaine Edmonds' spot? And are they going to go traditional 4-3, which we've talked a lot about? Are they going to still try to force a nickel 4-2? Like, what are they going to be? Where does Taron Johnson fit inside of that idea of what they're going to be? So. Great points, man. All right, so we're going to get out of here. Before that, though, like I said, this being the 600th episode, besides John, before I, you know, thank 600 you. 600 beers. Uh, would not. You might. You might. <laughs> Again? I want to run down a couple names here. I, I wrote them down so I didn't okay. forget. Don Beebe. These are all guys that have been on this show before. Okay. Former Buffalo Bills players have really helped me grow this show, and I'm appreciative not just to you for being here today and doing the show a couple times, but these guys who have done the show before. I want to make sure I thank them. Don Beebe. Will Wolford, Steve Christie, Thomas Smith, Jerry Ostrowski, you guys do Rumley's with, uh, Ross Tucker, Marquis Sullivan, Eric Wood, love Eric, uh, Butch Roll, you were talking about him earlier, Craig Urbic, and Marlon Kerner. So awesome. I just wanted to make sure I give all those guys their flowers for, for doing this show. Great really, cast of characters right there. I appreciate them, and none more than this guy right here. Make sure you follow him on Twitter, at John Fina, at Joe Miller Wired. The John Fina Show coming back soon. Uh, if not the first Monday in August, the second Monday in August, yes. I better put that on my calendar. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thank you, Pat. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.